0: The show must go on. A lot of things are grinded to an unfortunate halt, but uh, we are back. I know we had a week hiatus. This is Smoke Signals Podcast. I'm Justin Latta, and we are going to talk some baseball. We're going to try to keep the uh, coronavirus and some other stuff to a minimum on here. We might talk about a a few things related to it, but we're going to keep it to an absolute minimum because this is the escape. Uh, I'm Justin Ladder, Willie Hoods with me. Thanks for joining me.
1: Good to be here, Justin. Look forward to the conversation.
0: Yeah, how are, just how are you doing in, in general right now? With I mean, I so know we're talking keep it to a minimum, but it's always good to check in on everyone's uh, you know well being right now.
1: Doing well, uh, staying healthy, and trying to minimize my outside world contact right now. I'll put it that way. Um, yeah. Trying to keep in mind healthy. I have a large family. So that's my concern. And, and I work in the medical field. So I don't want to get anything and share anything with anyone that I work with or any of my patients and their families. So I I will try to stay clean and clear of all that's going on out there. Um, but I'm excited to talk a little bit of baseball with you tonight, Justin.
0: Yeah, thanks for continuing to work. You know, everybody in the medical field is important, but yeah, let's uh, let's talk about some baseball. So there there is some news this week, not related to the Indians, but I thought it was interesting to mention that uh, Chris Sale and Noah Syndergaard are having Tommy John surgery. I think Chris Sale might have already had his. Um, I did read online. I thought this was goofy that uh, Noah Syndergaard's Tommy John is considered a uh, a needed procedure instead of elective. So as we we're talking about medical things and uh, you know medical related things, um, I was kind of surprised that Syndergaard had a, a UCL tear. So I'm guessing that must have happened while he was throwing on the side, um, you know, without camp going on. I I don't think that happened before then. So that was bizarre to pop up today, uh, March 24th. Uh, so I guess the good news on that is
1: some elbow inflammation last year. Um, usually okay. that's a sign of something going on there. They, when the elbows barking at you, there's something going on. Uh, my understanding he had some inflammation last year, so it, it probably started last year, and and whatever happened. uh, probably was a side session. He was probably trying to stay ready for the season. Uh, Of course, we're just assuming that, but that's what it sounds like this late into the year. Um, You know, it's late March already. So he probably been doing a little bit of work trying to stay healthy, hoping to be ready for opening day whenever that is at this point. Um, I am a little surprised that that was a, a, a procedure that was deemed medically necessary. But when you have money, money talks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. We'll get into that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess that's something to think about, too, with Carrasco, because you mentioned with the elbow inflammation, he had that, too. Um, yep. But, you know, as of right now, it, you know, we haven't heard any news on anybody on the Indians with an injury. So, yeah. Um, if there is a June or July start to the season, uh, I mean right now I kind of personally feel like June is not going to happen because that would mean a lot of like good things have happened around the medical field and country. If there's a June season or June month. So as of right now, I would probably say that July is the earliest the season is going to start. I saw some interviews uh, and some articles with GM saying they think players would probably need a, another month of spring training to to get back to where they need to be to start the season. So, for me, that sounds like early to late July. So, in theory, obviously, you know, things could change in spring training, a second spring training, um, and it probably will. I'm sure you'll see guys get hurt, but um, at least the injuries from February and March where you had Clevenger, Carrasco, and Class A, all those guys would be at least healthy going into the second spring training. Um, so, you know, as as it relates to Sale and Syndergaard, all both popping up with Tommy John and missing whatever 2020 season there is in some 2021. Um, that's good news, you know, for the Indians, of course. For now,
1: and Tyler Naquin should be back sometime uh, oh, in June two. Yeah. So, so assuming um, the season starts probably around All Star break, which would be I think early July. Uh, that's probably where they would be aiming right now if all goes well, and, and uh, hopefully with warmer weather coming, things get cleaned up and uh, this virus virus gets eradicated and gets gets controlled. Um, I, I'm looking for a July date myself, and by then, I mean, Clev, He looks like he's healthy already. He was playing in the um, game with Trevor Bauer uh, a week or so ago. Cookie should be healthy and uh, Class A. I'm not sure, but counting out the the timeline and it looks like he should be back too so the indians should be all healthy and and let's hope and pray that they remain that way uh the spring training was going i was thinking we're gonna have to wrap these guys in bubble wrap
0: yeah it was starting to get that way and who knew you know what kind of curveball the uh baseball world was going to get at that point but uh yeah i would say I forgot about the Naquin points. So he'll be healthy, too. And that makes the outfield much better, uh, you know, having a, having Naquin out there versus, I don't know, maybe Jake Bowers or someone else or uh, whoever, another, you know, Greg Allen, Delano to Shields. And I forgot, you know, Oscar Mercado seemed like he was going to be fine, too, but I know he had the wrist injury, and you're right. Clevenger and Mercado both played in that, that pickup game that Trevor Bauer organized. Did you watch any of that, by the way?
1: I didn't. I, I didn't get to catch it. I had some other stuff going on, uh, another commitment at the time.
0: I, uh, I was at my girlfriend's place, and we were just, you know, having dinner and and doing, you know, indoor activities because that's uh, all you can do. So we were trying to find anything to watch on TV, and then we saw Bowers. Netflix. Yeah, so we saw Bowers feed uh, come around that uh, he was going to be this game was going to be going on, and it was going to be on, be able to stream at ten o'clock, and so we had. We had YouTube up on our TV. We had both of our phones. My phone was set to the um, Instagram feed and her phone was set to the Twitter feed. So we had, because they, they had three cameras working on live streams for different angles. And we had all three feeds set up because we were just so desperate to watch any any new, new baseball content, anything out there that was going on right now. So we, we were tuned in at all angles and that was pretty fun. And, you know, just to hear the guys just, you know, talk crap to each other and and have a little bit of fun and i think um get to see the personalities yeah it, it was interesting there were there were a lot of interesting things um art warren who is actually from ohio i forget where in ohio but he is a, a mariner's pitcher um a d3 guy i want to say too great story he was dressed up as like one of the guys from um to the sandlot i can't remember which one but he was wearing jean shorts and a uh a flannel shirt and he was having a good time and he won the mvp and the mvp was just a big bottle of hand sanitizer and then they were they were all watching all, all high-fiving and, and fist bumping after uh the thing was over and i was like that's probably not good but then they you know the the trophy was a giant bottle of hand sanitizer and they all shared it so they were practicing safe guidelines i guess for limited athletic activity but it was it was a fun watch i think it's on his youtube channel i would recommend if you get a chance to go on and watch it because it was pretty fun and you know trevor bauer is a a fun guy yeah he's
1: definitely a character um as i called him he's a revolutionary of the game uh he's been revolutionary for the game i think he's really brought analytics front and center uh the game was changing it and he kind of is a face of it uh with driveline kyle body and and all of that uh, analytical movement. And, you know, the last few years you've seen that kind of come. It, it was criticized at first, but now we're talking a, a lot more analytical discussion all around the game. And, and uh, I think it just brings up that the game is ever changing. Um, which, that being said, kind of leads me to opening day this year. And, and you mentioned some opening day memories. I I don't really... Have one per se that really sticks out to me. I've I've watched, I'd say all of them. I've never had the opportunity to be there for an opening day, um, but I know that you have, and I'm interested in hearing what you've got to say about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to mention because opening day would have been this Thursday, and uh, the weather actually looks like it was going to be good. So, um, <laughs> of course, I know what what sense does this world make anymore. Um, so I'm just kind of curious to see if you know we either either of us could. Uh, come up with some interesting memories from opening day. I have been fortunate enough to um, have gone to opening day the last, uh, let's see, well, 2019 would have been 15 years. So yeah, I've been to the last 15 openers with my dad. It's been really special to be at all of those with him and, and just, you know, have that opportunity to share the game with him and um, do that every year. It's, you know, something I look forward to and, could do it again eventually, but uh, going back to '05, just being there, I remember. Um, I remember first of all the season opener in Chicago, they lost one nothing, and that game is actually on YouTube. I was watching it the other day. Uh, that was Westbrook versus Mark Bur- Mark Burley. That was a quick game. Mar- uh, Rob Manfred would have been like cheering on that entire game because it just moved so quickly. Um, and then they lost two to one the home opener. That was Freddie Garcia versus Kevin Millwood. Um, that was also the White Sox. So you see a theme. Oh five, the Indians lost a lot of one run games and a lot to the White Sox. And that started early. Uh, I think everyone probably remembers the snow opener in 07, you know, against Seattle that never actually became a full game. Um I re- I remember sitting in the bleachers and um I see Mike Hargrove coming on. It's good. The snow is just coming down and, and Paul Bird's one out away from making it through five innings with a no-hitter, and the Indians were winning, and I'm like just need one more out. Just need one more out. And I think he might even have two strikes. And Hargrove came out. He was managing the Mariners. He came out and stalled for time. And, of course, the umpires decided to, you know, pull the tarp. And I'm like, man, he just – I remember sitting there looking at my dad, looking at a, couple, a friend I was with, and I'm like, this game's over. Like, this is not getting played. And then we sat there until, like, I think 7 o'clock until they finally called it and you know we were all just freezing and soaking wet from the snow melting onto us and uh, that was uh, a disaster so the first home game that year was in milwaukee on april 10th uh, against the angels and their first home game was april 13th against the white sox um i remember 08 just because of how great 07 was and i'm being in 08s game and joe borowski almost blew the save and we won 10 to 8 and I remember thinking it was going to be the Indians year, and then I should have realized that that opening day game where they had to win 10-8 and Borowski would just barely clung to life on that save should have been a, an indication of what was to come. 2011, six out because it was warm. I remember sitting in the bleachers wearing shorts. It was probably 70 degrees. Uh, I couldn't believe it. And then then Fausto Carmona gave up uh, eight runs in the fourth inning, and uh, they lost 15-10 to 10 to the White Sox. That was not fun, but it was warm. I was also 21 and enjoyed my first time opener that way. So I was able to, you know, ease the pain of how bad Foster Carmona at the time was getting hit around. Uh, 2012 was like 20 degrees and the Indians lost to 16 innings at Toronto. That's because Chris Perez blew a a three run lead in the ninth inning after Justin Masterson struck out 10 in eight innings and gave one run. And rule five pick Jairo Asensio, who was just one of the worst relievers I've ever seen in my life, Uh, gave up three runs in three innings and got sad with the loss. And then Chelsea 17 was fun because they only won two to one against the White Sox, but that was, I don't know, it was kind of cool to see Michael Brantley get the walk off hit after, you know, missing 2016 with the injury. And then uh, a couple other ones I noted as a kid was Wayne Kirby, you know, the walk off in 94. I think everyone who was alive for that remembers that. I was only five, but. I remember my dad going in late to work, calling his work and saying he wouldn't be in until the game was over, because he was working at a restaurant at the time. And she's like, "I'm not coming in." It's the home. It's the first opener, Jacobs Field, and and we were home watching, but he was not going to go in until it was over. And '98, I remember that was my first home opener. It was '98 in person. I remember Tommy hit the walk off against uh, the Angels and Troy Percival, and I remember Troy Percival not having a lot of success against the Indians. so I went back and looked it up. And 39 innings against the Indians, he had a 5.90 ERA. So that checked out. It wasn't just a confirmation bias, but the Indians definitely tortured him. And I remember Tommy hitting; it was an opposite field shot uh, to win that game. So that was kind of fun.
1: It's a lot of good memories there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, mine don't go as far back, obviously. Because like I said, 94 it was the first one that really stuck out to me. And even some of 95 and 96, I don't remember because I was just too young. And 94 it was just memorable because, you know, it was the first one. I remember it was like the first game I sat down and watched with my dad at five years old. But yeah, trip down memory lane of of a uh, home opener has gone past. So hopefully we'll get a, a, uh, a new memory of a July home opener in 2020 and it being a good one. Do you have anything you want to? touch on home opener-wise before we get into the meat of the podcast?
1: I've, I've always thought of home opener kind of being a preview of what the season is going to be like and how, how it kind of seems to set the tone. That may not always be the case, um, but it just feels like the excitement carries over. Or, or uh, it feels like the, the home opener is kind of a preview of things to come for for the Indians. And, you know, I may be wrong. They seem to be slow starters here in recent years. Oh, yeah. Um, And then have gotten off to exciting things. But there's an air, a special, I don't know, there's something special in the air um, for the home openers. As I've said, I've never got to to be at one, usually because I've got other commitments, uh, family commitments and things like that that I've got going on. uh, Work. (laughs) 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 Where where I've just not... uh, ask for the time off. Like I, I always try to take summertime and and enjoy the summertime and home opener. It's so iffy, you know, I don't want to get snowed out or rained out. I want to be able to go to the games. I want to go when it's nice out, you know? So I always try to avoid the, the early season games.
0: That's probably a good way to go. But
1: as I said, I think the home opener is kind of a, kind of a a special moment and, um You know, it's something I've always wanted to do. It's it's on my bucket list, but it's not gonna happen. Maybe I'll get to go to the home opener this year because it sounds like it may be in the summertime.
0: Yeah, it's a perfect time to get your first one out of the way and and not have as many, I guess, weather related risks, but it'll be interesting. Hopefully that, you know, that would be a good way to you know, come back from all this would be, you know, get to go to the home opener in July and and experience your first one and just have
1: I think that that would be a cool experience all around and, and I'm hopeful that fans will turn out, especially um, with all that's going on right now, people just starving for sports and, and entertainment altogether. Um, you know, I, I think it would be a great way to, to kind of uh, break the cabin fever that I think a lot of us are experiencing or that will set in over the next few weeks.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's some economic things that might go along with the attendance, but you would like to think that with everything going on, if, if those who are fortunate enough to be able to attend, um, come July or whatever happens, you know, I hope the turnout is as good as possible. Cause I think people will remember what they missed, you know, cause the Indians attendance obviously been, has been waning. So maybe, you know, I guess it's, t- it's tough to think about just cause you know, the, the economy does factor into that as well, especially right now and for everybody, but um, you know, if, if everything eventually can get corrected and, and people can be fortunate to be corrected and, or, you know, going to be a better situation, maybe the attendance can rebound with, you know, people realizing what, what they've been missing and, you know, some greater appreciation for having a baseball team, you know, if, if money allows, but.
1: You know, I, I tend to think of, uh, baseball as an escape. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we all face harsh realities of life. Some of us different. Um, uh, I, I working in the medical field with patients that are near the end of life. And I face that and I use baseball as an escape for, it. you know, it's my therapy. It's, um, what helps me to continue to go on. And, and I think, um, you know, it's kind of a sobering mom- moment for us as a nation. And, uh, as for baseball fans, you know, we, we see it could be months before we see a game again, and, and you realize what really matters. In it. And you mentioned something earlier, and that was your dad spending that time watching the game, but it was spending the time watching the game with his son. And I think that's what makes baseball, you know, uh, America's pastime, as they say, is the, it's a family-oriented sport. A lot of the minor league teams and stuff are, are very fan-friendly. Uh, the Indians definitely are. Um, the, or they're trying to to focus more towards the younger, younger generation and the younger kids, too, having things there for them. Um, me being a parent with children who are, are autistic, I know the Indians are one of the few clubs that have um, kind of quiet spaces for, for children um, with special needs. Um, but I think they've definitely geared in that direction. And I think when you look at what's going on in the nation and, and – with this virus and the concerns economically that people have maybe it means you're not going to go on vacation this year you may end up hey let's go to to a couple of ball games instead and and spending that time with family that way so it it could play out that way I, i do definitely hear the economic concerns um i think we both have concerns right now and i think a lot of people out there do uh about the economics of the game and who knows maybe the the dolans will say hey we're going to slash prices we want to get as many people in here we want to reach out to our community and do something good for the for northeast ohio i think it'd be a great way to reach fans right where they're at right now so, well i would call it an opportunity for them.
0: right yeah for sure i hope that's where everything goes we'll hope uh i really don't need to add to that cuz that was that was well said and and we do want to try to keep some of that to the minimum so i think your your point was very very Accurate, and we'll just leave it there so we don't have to elaborate further on, on more of those issues. But uh, the really the big thing we wanted to get to in this podcast was the second half of the top 25 um prospect list. So we did the 25 or 50 through 25, or I should say 26, um, last time we talked, which was two weeks ago. And uh, we're recording here on May 24th, Thursday, with um, uh, what one, two, three, four, five five pro prospects to go in the list. So we'll just get these out of the way. You can listen and then read. Obviously, at, this, at the moment I mentioned uh, the rest of the prospect list was going to be free to anybody. Just, you know, so, you know, like you said, everybody needs a distraction. And I figured with our, our time being short at, at 24-7 sports, um, you know, with apologies to the people who have been subscribers, um, you know, we made the rest of the list free. I think after... I can't remember at what point we made it free, but the rest of them will be free. And then there will be some other things we'll talk about with the list um, after we finish this this up. So let's uh, let's dive right in. We're going to do this in groups of five. So um, number 25 was Will Benson. Number 24 was uh, pitcher Lenny Torres, who missed last year with Tommy John's surgery. 23 was Angel. I think it's Angel. I'm not sure it's Angel, but I think it's Angel. Um, obviously, we don't know a lot about him because he's been in the DSL. Uh, Angel Martinez, another uh, shortstop with a quick bat. Carlos Mejia at 22, and then Cody Morris at 21. So, Willie, out of that group of five, um, just give me if you want to go through one or, or all five or just a couple, what you like, what you don't like, and then um, you know pick out one or two, and, and then give me a potential for impact, and then and when you think we'll see one of these guys in the majors.
1: Well, if I had to pick one guy who I think may make it there first, it would be, uh, me, uh, Giancarlo. Yeah. Mieja. Um, I, I think he's near ready as far as, I mean, I know he's been in Lynchburg, but stuff wise, he's going to come down to one option next year. I think he's going to get forced into the pen and the four pitches that he has. I think he can, uh, transition to the pen relatively quickly. Um, I really like Cody Morris. I think he's a sleeper. Numbers didn't look great last year, but when it comes to stuff, his fastball is mid-90s, can touch 97. I like the change-up. He's got a slider, too. Um, improving control. He was a guy that they signed as a uh, redshirt. I believe he's a redshirt sophomore whenever they signed him in the draft a few years back from uh, South mm. Carolina. Um, Angel Martinez, and I do believe it's Angel Martinez. I'm not quite sure. but He's someone I really like. Uh, definitely like the bat. I think he's got above average potential with the bat. Defensively, he looks like he's going to stick it at shortstop. Very intelligent player. Very similar to uh, Ryan Rocchio, uh, another high baseball IQ guy. Um, of course, I can't remember if it's his dad.
0: It's uh, yeah.
1: Oh, is it? That's him? him. Yeah, um, with the with the Nationals. Yeah. So he's a he's been a baseball. Uh, rat since the time he was little and now I mean 17 years old he came up and and hit I think 312 or something like that in in the DSL last year um, in his debut he's somebody that I think that is very talented and he's gonna move up these lists uh, in the years to come in my opinion Uh, Lenny Torres Jr. another exciting arm for the Indians he was a high draft pick a few years back uh, he had Tommy John surgery and is making his way back and he was already throwing this spring off of the, off a of flat ground. I think he was going to progress to the mound and it looked like he was going to be ready uh, by June or July for uh, Mahoning Valley. Will Benson is somebody that you've seen. I believe you, you were there the night that he hit uh, the I was. home runs. Definitely a lot of, a lot of tools with Benson there. Um, a lot of concern with the swing too. He brings, you know, a strong arm. He's fast, athletic, just a big guy, but he's got a big pull and swing too.
0: I, I really like that. I like the tools, like you just said. My thing with him is he's already above a 30% strikeout rate in, in high A. Um, if, you, if you told me that he would strike out 30% of the time in the major leagues, I could tell you he can make an impact like Joey Gallo and maybe even better because he can steal bases. Benson is a, a phenomenal athlete runs well. Um, and you know what, he, he really is chasing a pitch. His, his issue with the strikeouts is he works deep counts. Um, you know, he's not afraid to take pitches. He knows what he's looking for up there as a hitter. Um, but you know, when you work deep counts and you have long arms, like he does, it's just so hard to get everything moving in sync fast enough. Um, and, and it just creates so many holes in his swing and, and, like I said, if you, if you told me he could strike out 30% of the time in the majors, I, w- I would tell you he could make an impact. He could be a 25-25 guy and play a really good right field. Like you said, he's got a great arm. Um, I just don't know that he's ever going to curb the strikeout rate. That's the issue. And, and it, like I said, it's not for the lack of play discipline. It's not for the lack of pitch recognition. It's just simply it's so hard to mechanically swing the way he does being his age – or I'm sorry, his uh, size. But like I said, he, he's young. He could figure it out maybe. But um, of this group, he has the highest upside, I think, or at least you know impact potential because if, he, if it works out where he can strike out or cut down the strikeouts, he has the most tools to impact the game. I'm really interested in Torres because of the pitchability and just the overall stuff. He's not a big kid, but um, people still liked him to be a starter just because of how good the stuff is. I just don't know how many innings you're going to get out of him. Um, I'm concerned with Nahia's injury issues. Um, he had a, he had a hernia surgery last year, and he's also had some um, other issues before that. So I'm I'm concerned about holding up as a starter. But the stuff's really good. The uh, the slider's good. The fastball's good. Would be a pretty good reliever. I know we always say uh, what was our thing last podcast was uh, bullpen risk, or you know it, you know could move to the bullpen. <laughs> that was our fault.
1: Yeah. It- I think that's always the the fallback for pitchers is, well, they'll look good in the bullpen. But sometimes these guys end up running out of time because of injuries and and other factors. And I think that's the case with Mieja is, you know, I think he's kind of running out of time right now. He's been pitched last year in Lynchburg, should make a debut in Akron this season. Um, Does he have enough time at this point? And then he still only has – I think he's got two options remaining, so this year and next year, um, you know – we're talking two years, two years there to figure things out. And this season, who knows how things are going to play out. So it's going to come into play at some point. And, and then when you're talking about the log jam that the Indians have in front of them too, with the starting pitching depth and the starters they already have, it, it just seems like, you know, he could end up there. Uh, I do think there's back of the rotation potential for him. Um, I really like him. I'm just concerned. He's definitely got a starter to build. I'll put it that way. 64 240 and very strong. Um, just the the uh, hernia injury and I believe he had another injury like an oblique or something last year as well that that he lost time to and it's not the first time that he's lost some time like that so you know um, when you're a pitcher you got to stay healthy you got to stay on the mound and you know especially when you're on that Mm 40-man roster it it doesn't do you any good because you lose that developmental time and you lose option years. Which he which he did last year kind of earned an option year in
0: Yeah, I was kind of surprised they put him on the forty man roster to begin with, but um there are a lot of people who thought that he could move fast if he stayed on the mound and obviously he's been hurt, but um he could have moved a little bit quicker. Um, so that's why they protected him. The guy I like I, I want to move on to the next group quickly, but the guy I like most out of this group to make a, a real impact in the majors is Cody Morris. Um, if I had to pick one guy that you'll you'll see eventually, I don't know if it'll be next year because of the limited play this year, but maybe 2022 or i'm sorry 2021 you will see Cody Morris rise up a lot of lifts i like the fastball it's a little bit flat um but it's in the mid 90s um changeup and curveball are both good he does have a slider too um and does have an interesting curveball i think he's got good he's he's improved his command since college um, i think the overall package is really good um if he can just pitch up in the zone or you know avoid the middle of the zone with the fastball because it is a little flat uh, and does lack some spin um, I think there's um, I don't want to say Bieber light potential there that's a little bit much um, and, I, and obviously nobody in the world has Bieber's command but um, I think Cody Morris has like middle of the rotation stuff I think everything if, every, if the command is there I think everything plays together where he can be a middle of the rotation guy and, and be a 180 inning, 200 inning guy, and, and a strikeout per inning. I think, I don't know if you'll see upper rotation stuff from him, but I, if there is one guy in that group of five I like the most, it's Cody Morris. And I think he has the most chance to realize his potential out of that group. Um, so I would say watch out for him over the next two years or so, you know, depending on what happens with the rest of 2020. Uh, next group of five is Eli Morgan at 20, you know, change of specialist. We know about him. Uh, Bobby Bradley at 19 and Yu Chang at 18; those are two guys, and we had a hard time really finding the right spot for because I think their overall impact is going to be limited. Um, Carlos Vargas, who you wrote up, is there. Uh, I do like him quite a bit, but he's a far a bit ways off. And then at 16, we decided on Emmanuel Class a, Um, you know, just because of his already the potential he's already reached and and what he can be in the future. So. Um, you know, go through one or two guys there. And who, who do you like the most? And who has the furthest to go, you think, to make an impact?
1: Vargas has the furthest to go to really make an impact. I, I really like him, by the way. Um, I love the slider and the fastball. I have saw him several times this year at Mahoming Valley. Uh, every time I saw him, he was 95, 96. The, the slider is a plus pitch. He has two plane break whenever I saw him. I, I saw the uh, change up a couple of times, but it looked like he was getting on top of it and then trying to push it, basically forced it out, um, out of the zone, ended up being a ball. Um, Eli Morgan is a guy I think, you know, he I think he's a Josh Tomlin type of arm. Could pitch as a as a fifth starter, might end up in the in the bullpen. I really like Class A. The the one thing that really surprised me as I wrote up him, um was the was the um, launch angle against that he allowed which was three percent and he's just got guys beating the ball into the ground time after time and you know it's it's amazing i'm watching him pitch it looks like he kind of keeps that front that front knee bent a little bit as he's um as he's coming home as he's making or going through his delivery and and i wonder if they'll straighten out his leg a little bit because i suspect that will help Uh, His control a little bit, and uh, I think you know there's high, high, um, high setup man type potential there, but also possibility of being a closer. Uh, Getting into the next five, James Crenchek will have something to say about that, though, in my opinion. But uh, Class A is really intriguing, arm, especially when you got a guy throwing into the hundreds, that uh, that hundred mile an hour bowling ball, as Tito Francona called it. (laughs) with that cutter of his. And um, I saw somebody posted on Twitter today that he had the highest velocity on his cutter and it was 99.3 average, I believe. Uh, and by far the the highest average on a cutter okay. in the majors by at least five miles an hour. So uh, far and away, you know, in his own class.
0: <laughs> class A is in his own class. That's definitely true. I did see you put, uh, retweet that. That's the same. I, obviously I think if you looked at this list, I would say class A is going to make the most impact. At least you can be sure of like Vargas, maybe long-term probably makes the most. Um, for, I mean, I, you said Vargas is the farthest away. I'm just not sold that Bradley and Chang are going to make the impact um, that we had hoped. I think Bradley's strikeout issues are, are going to curb that. And um, I think Chang just has limited um, what he's going to do with the bat? I mean, it's just it's a it's a decent package overall. Um, but if he's not, I think it was better suited if he had played shortstop. I think the bat would have played better at short. Um, but now he's really just a third baseman. I don't think he has enough power there. Um, so I think his impact's limited overall, and he's best served as maybe a utility guy who can play third and um, can pinch hit. You know, pinch in hell, but second and maybe short on occasion. I like Morgan to make make an impact as well. Um, Just I love the changeup. Everybody loves the changeup. Uh, the, obviously the velocity is a concern. I think he's probably more of a swing man, just because of that changeup. Even though the or you know because of the fastball velocity and um, the command is so good, but I think he's just more of a a five six kind of guy. Even though he does have a plus pitch, but yeah, I would say Class A has the chance to make the most uh, impact just because you don't see stuff like that every day and, and with how important bullpens are right now, especially when you consider the three batter minimum rule um, that's, it's so important to have someone like that. So I think in this list, he's going to make the biggest impact at least that we can predict at this point. Um, you know, if Vargas stays in the rotation, realizes his potential he might be able to make the most, but I think class A is the safest right now um, as safe, as safe Absolutely. as a hundred mile an hour pitchers can be, which, you know, we never can, can count on. Um, the next group of five, we had James Krinchak at 15, just ahead of Class A. Um, I just think that Krinchak missing more bats than Class a. Like, I think it's a great note you brought up, too, that the launch angle against Class A is not necessarily a swing and miss pitcher, but it's impossibly hard to make good contact against him. So that's another way of suppression. But Krinchak's strikeout potential, I think, gave him the edge. Luis Oviato at 14. Uh, Jose Fermin at 13. Uh, Gabriel Rodriguez, another young shortstop at at L twelve, And Aaron Bracco, or I think it's I think it's Bracco. I still don't know for hundred percent sure. I guess I should know. Uh, at second base at eleven, so same thing, Willie. Um, who has the furthest to go? Who do you like the most to make the most impact, and uh, who concerns you most out of that group?
1: Gabriel Rodriguez has the longest path ahead of him. He's a very interesting. Um, shortstop signed out of venezuela they 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 like him a lot they gave him the largest bonus that they've dished out to a position player 2.1 million dollars that tells you that they like him a lot um i project him out as a third baseman i think he's going to gain a little bit of weight looking at his frame uh considering how young he was he didn't he didn't look uh too great in some of the video if you watch video of him um i didn't have the opportunity to go to arizona to see him but uh watching the video of him out there in in Arizona and um you know he got out in front of some of the uh, pitches but the thing that I really liked about it was even though he got beat by pitchers that are three and four years older than him um he was able to put the bat on the ball and you know foul it off or put it into play it wasn't a um it wasn't a powerful hit, but he was able to put the bat on the ball, and that tells me that he's able to adjust. And as he as he adjusts and as he matures and he's playing against players his own age, I think that will benefit him long-term. Uh, definitely like him a lot. A lot of five tools – or a lot of five fives there on the board, all average or better tools as far as arm, bat, power, potential, all of it. Um, Longest path ahead for Rodriguez. I really like James Karinchek there. I think there's your future closer for the tribe. Um, Like Aaron Bracho, I I think he's going to be a bat first, second baseman, somebody that can get into the 20s, mid to upper 20s in home runs. He's a guy that I think will hit for a high average. Uh, Defensively, he's a former shortstop, uh, had an arm injury a year or two ago that kind of helped the transition to second base. He also um, has performed on a high level, played a lot of the uh, perfect game and traveled in the U.S. So he's got a lot of exposure already, and I think that will benefit him as he transitions um, and as he progresses through the minor leagues. Uh, Jose Fermin is somebody I like. I haven't got to see a whole lot of. I think you've seen him plenty in Lake County. Um, Luis Ovedo, I like him. Um, definitely concerned about the back injury. Always concerned when there's back injuries for, for a young pitcher. My understanding, he was in camp and was in great shape. So hopefully he's able to maintain that and they'll keep him flexible and strong. Um, but uh, I really like Karinchek of that five. He, that's your uh, future closer for the tribe right there. And as I said, uh, I think Rodriguez is, is very intriguing, but he's a long ways away. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up in Mahoning Valley at some point, if there's a, a decent time uh, um, for him to get there this season.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on Rodriguez being a future third baseman. Um, he's probably going to be too big to play shortstop, but there's a lot of power potential there for sure. Um, I do think he's going to be one of the better guys they've signed out of the Dominican or out of the international class, I should say. Um, obviously, we know Karinczak's ready. He's a, he's a closer and waiting and um, obviously has some command issues to iron out with the fastball, but it's elite stuff and and it's going to miss bats and With even average command, he has the chance to be a really special late late inning inning arm. Um, So he's probably the safest to project in this group. I really like Bracho's bat. He's a switch hitter and and has power. I think he's going to be a really good hitting second baseman. Um, You know, he's he's gotten bigger already. You know, he's not you know too big, but he's he's definitely filled the frame out very early on. So that's something to watch for. Um, as it relates to his range at second base. Um, But I think that the bat's going to play there phenomenally, you know, long-term. Obviously, the guy I like the most, I think people, anybody who's followed me on Twitter or has listened to me before anywhere here or other appearances, um, Jose Fermin is probably my biggest sleeper on this list. And and the reason he's at 13 is because I really push for him to be up the rankings. Um, And I honestly, I would have, I personally have him a little bit higher. Um, then we ended up being the top 50 for IBI officially. But, um, Freeman had, I'm sorry, Fermin has all the things Freeman has. They're close to the same age, um, ton of contact, both second baseman long term. I know Freeman plays shortstop now, but he also probably profiles better at second, just like, um, Fermin does. Um, but I think he has much better plate discipline he improved the pull side power late last season. I don't know if he's going to have a ton of power long term, but um he's not he's not quite like Jose Ramirez was when he was at Lake County, but you can see bits and pieces of of what made Jose Ramirez special at that age in in Jose me, Now he's a year older than the Ramirez was and Ramirez absolutely devastated Lake um, Midwest League pitching when he got there. Not the way me did, but Fermin's second half was really good. So there are some elements to his game that I think really translate well to the major league level, and like I said, he even Tyler Freeman credits Fermin with his helping his approach. You know, working more walks or understanding what pitches he can drive, what pitches are in the zone worth swinging at, which ones aren't. Um, so I think there's a lot of things in Fermin's game that are just going to translate well as he gets older, and um, it's just kind of the guy of that group that I'm stumping the hardest for to get recognized and. I'm really eager to see what he can do against older competition whenever we see baseball again. Um, Next group, we move into the top ten. So we have Ethan Hankins at number ten, starting pitcher, big kid. Daniel Johnson at nine. Tristan McKenzie at eight, who has taken kind of a tumble in these rankings just because of his injuries and also because the Indians' international talent has just been really special. Um, Logan Allen at seven. And Bo Naylor at six. So we'll we'll keep running through the same exercise. Give me uh, one you like the most, one that's got the farthest way to go, and any concerns you might have about anybody in this group.
1: I really like Ethan Hankins. Uh, I had him as a top 15 prospect even after the arm injury. Love the movement. And and I know that they're working on uh, differentiating his slider and his curveball. I know his uh, slider and curve can look a little uh, similar at times. Uh, but four pitches he's got average or better control I think there's a a lot to to work with there with him huge upside I think possible middle rotation type arm maybe a number two if everything clicks that's going to depend on the developmental path ahead but he's an exciting arm to see and I watched him five times this year uh, with Mahoning Valley and you know and then when he got promoted up to, to Lake County, seeing him compete and strike out 10 guys in his last game. Um, he was sitting 95 every time I saw him that, that last game with Lake County. So uh, I think the the sky is the limit with Hankins. There's a, a lot of potential there. I definitely trust the tribe to develop the arm. They're doing an excellent job uh, of developing these young arms. Let's hope he stays healthy. Um, I think there's a lot to work with with him. Um, Daniel Johnson Very tools. He doesn't seem to get the most out of his tools, though. Um, You know, he's a a guy that I could say he has five tools, but, you know, there's some uh, platoon concerns there that he'll end up as a platoon bat. Tristan McKenzie, I think everyone knows about the injuries. I really like Tristan still. I I think there's a a ton of upside there. Uh, Somebody I've compared him to is James Paxton of the New York Yankees, a, a guy that's made a career of pitching 150 innings being in the middle of the rotation arm. I could see McKenzie in that type of role. Who knows, maybe he ends up as an opener pitching three or four innings or something like that. Uh, he just doesn't look like he's going to put on the weight to, to make it long-term as a, as a starting pitcher. Uh, I think the key with him will be limiting his innings and limiting the wear and tear on his body is what they're really trying to do. Uh, Logan Allen has that nice change-up. That's a plus pitch for him. Bo Naylor, I think, is going to end up being uh, – a catcher long term he, he's sure looking like he can anyways definitely improved a lot this season I think the bat is real and I think he's going to be a relatively fast moving prep uh, pick for the tribe uh, they've done a nice job with these with these recent uh, draft picks Lenny Therese, Bo Naylor, um, Ethan Hankins, Daniel Espino all of them in, in these top rankings that tells you that they've done a, a really good job scouting and developing these guys so far in their careers
0: I 100% agree with you on Bo Naylor. Um, I think there's a really good chance he's going to be a catcher long-term, especially if there's robo-omps. You have to worry less about framing. Um, I think he has – I think with any catcher, um, there's a long path development. So if you were looking for a guy in this group that's going to be – have the longest way to go in his development, it's going to be Bo Naylor. And that's even without uh, the framing issues. If that becomes something you don't have to really take into account anymore, when you combine his age, you know, already a good hitter, but um, throwing his, his, you know, his throwing arm is, is is plus. It's already a great tool for him, but there are some things in his uh, mechanics and his release that he needs to work on, especially footwork. Blocking is an issue, but, you know, when you, if you do take away framing long-term and not something he has to worry about, I think you can sell out to block. And uh, worry about that, and then the throwing, obviously. But uh, all catchers have the longest path to the major leagues. But I, I like the bat, and but the good news is for him, though, is is I think his bat is good enough to play at like second or third, and he has the athleticism to play those places. Um, you know, he was an infielder in, in high school, um, and the Indians just moved to catcher because they thought that was where athletically he could play, and the bat would be the best at, obviously. Logan Allen's a guy I've struggled with. I I wrote Logan Allen up and I have to admit, I had to watch a lot of video to catch up on him. Um, But I'm glad that like El Paso, before he got traded to Cleveland, El Paso had a great MILB TV feed. Not all MILB TV feeds are the same. If you've ever watched one of those, not everyone has the best camera work. Sometimes it's one camera and it's really in a bad place in center field. And it's grainy. El Paso has a fantastic setup. And then, Obviously Logan Allen pitching the big leagues for San Diego and Cleveland this year. So uh, MLB.com has a new video search tool. So you can go on there and you can search for videos of a specific player. You can look for a specific outcome, a specific pitch, um, you know, like watching all the changeups that Logan Allen threw for strikes this year called strikes or, or swinging strikes. So you could just filter it out. Great filters. I, I caught up on him a lot that way. Um, I'm concerned about the command with him the most. I don't, I think without average or above average command, the whole package doesn't come together. And you know, we had him at seven, just because in the past he has had good command. And then 2018 and 2019, he just had some blips where the command wasn't very good. And he's a little bit stiff in his delivery at times, even though he gets great you know, shoulder to hip separation and has great extension. Um, but really the, the whole package to me is just average. Like the fastball doesn't spin great. It's average velocity. Um, the change of in curveball, I think, are really good. Um, but I think he just really needs good mechanics and needs to be a little more fluid in his delivery to reach the potential. So I'm kind of concerned about him as much as I'm concerned about, you know, Tristan, you hit all the points on the, um, the physical issues. I did hear an interesting tidbit that he was working on a slider in spring training. He is a fastball curveball change guy with the curveball being his best pitch. But I did hear he is working on a slider, um, possibly. So that would be interesting for his development to add a fourth pitch. And he already has good command. And I don't doubt that he could spin a good slider. I I still like Hankins the most in this group. I think Johnson has the most safest floor at this point. I think he's going to be a, a a guy who can hit 20 home runs, a Splatoon outfielder, and and play a really great right field and steal some bases. But for me, the long long-term impact, I think Hankins has the most. Um, you know, just gotta watch his body. I think he needs to you know, make sure that his conditioning is, is as good as it can be and, and get the most out of that big body of I mean, he's six, 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 and I think two twenty now. Um, that's a big 20 year old kid. And I think though.
1: Yeah. He, he looks every bit at two twenty. I know that he, no. he's listed at 200 <laughs> pounds, but he's gained at least 20, 20, 25 pounds, just looking at, uh, looking at him. And a lot of it is in the, in the core and in the, in the lower torso and his thighs, um, Got some strong legs. I know he's been hitting the Peloton pretty hard from what I've heard. So uh hopefully, hopefully the conditioning will will serve him once he does get out on the mound this year. Uh very excited to to have gotten Hankins a few years ago where they did. And and you know, I, I think he's at least a number three. I think there's potential for a number two starter there. I really like that pick. Um most excited about him and Nailer. That was a, a heck of a a draft for the tribe that year getting those two um, definitely agree with what you said about Logan Allen uh, I do like the change up him being a lefty I, I think there there's potential for a number three starter there if I had to say I'm gonna guess he's probably a four or a five um you know he's he's turning the wrong direction he was a, a former top 100 prospect and you know i I trust the tribe's developmental staff to isolate things that he needs to work on. Of course, I didn't break him down. I didn't watch a whole lot of video of him. I'm, I'm familiar with him with his time with the Red Sox and with the Padres. This is a guy that's on his third third organization now, too, and I tend to say that there's flaws or or a guy doesn't get traded that many
0: times. That's today. a good point, so. too, a lot of trades. I, I, I do trust the Indians to help him develop just because they're good at, at developing pitching and that profile, so you just hope they can clean up some of the command or help him be a little more fluid and um, you know, the command really brings it all together for him because otherwise, like I said, the stuff's just average. But uh the next next group here, the final five, uh, yep. you know, Tyler Freeman at number five, who will be out uh tomorrow morning, the 25th of March. And then we'll if you're listening, you get a you get early access now to the final four. Uh if you haven't, if you're they're not out to be read yet. But so if you're listening now before they come out, uh number four is Daniel Espino three is shortstop Brian Rocchio number two is outfielder George Valera and then our top prospect for 2020 is third baseman Nolan Jones no surprise so um, just take me through some thoughts on a few of those guys who you like the most uh, who has the longest to go and, and whatever their notes you uh, think is worth uh, paying attention to on those guys
1: I might surprise you with this one, but uh, I think George Valera yeah. may have the, the longest road to go in, in front of of that group. And, and it's not saying that I don't like him. Uh, some concerns defensively. Uh, where's his home? Is he going to end up in left field? Uh, I definitely like the bats. This was his first season, um, first real season. I mean, he 2018 he debuted and then ended up having a broken hammock uh, in his hand and only played six games. So last year hitting, I think it was 236 at uh, Mahoning Valley, but I do think there's a long path a- ahead for him. Um, Rokio is just so polished. I-, I really like him, like him as a hitter, uh, Tyler Freeman, you know, he's another polished advanced guy. I, I think he's going to get some time at shortstop and then eventually shift over to second base. Nolan Jones, um, some platoon, ugh, platoon concerns there with him. Um, but I think my favorite of this five is Daniel Espino. I, I really like him. I had him as a top five type talent last year. Uh, he's a shorter right-hand pitcher that uh, from the, from the prep ranks last season and the Indians were lucky to get him at 24. In my opinion, uh, he has ace potential, I think, uh, whether he reaches that or not, I, I would say, you know, a lot of people have discussed his arm length and, and and his delivery to the mound. I know the Indians are looking at video. It looks like they've already cleaned up some of that. And from what I've heard, his velocity has maintained in the upper 90s, even with a few changes. Um, he's listed 6'2", 205. I, I hear he's closer to six foot. Really doesn't matter to me. Uh, what matters is that he has control. and he, He's making his delivery and he stays healthy. Uh, I think there's an exciting future ahead for Daniel Espino. I think he's going to move relatively fast. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he was kind of a, a Jarrett Wright or Bartolo Colon guy that debuts they when they're 20, 21 years old. I think he has that type of potential to move through the system. And um, with his with his fastball, I mean, he sits in the mid-90s, touches upper 90s, has reached 100 in the past. And his uh, control will be the thing that gets him there, and, and I think the Indians are already making a few changes with him. I do think um, him being a, a four-pitch pitcher, too, will benefit him. I, I think they had him working on the changeup when he was in Mahoning Valley uh, last season. And I expect that you know once the season does get going, he'll probably eventually end up in Lake County, pairing him with uh, Ethan Hankins. And I'm curious to see how that plays out with those two. I'm sure there'll be some healthy competition from, from two guys that have lived in Georgia and that uh, will compete with each other and push each other toward uh the ultimate goal which is getting into the big leagues but i really like espino i think he's potentially the number one prospect for the indians af- after nolan jones graduates a couple of these other guys are going to have some say in that but i, I really think uh, espino will really take off for the tribe i love the fastball the slider the curveball and then his changeup needs the most work but uh you know, he's a,
0: a kid that has a, an exciting. So, <laughs> Here's something Indians fans aren't going to want to hear. Um, and I, I, I've heard a lot of the same things you've heard. And obviously that makes sense. Cause we talk a lot and we view the same kind of content and, and things like that. But, um, about Daniel Spino, but the one thing I think, and I know I, I definitely agree with you that he has a potential number one overall prospect because he has the stuff. Um, and for better and for worse, I've heard some loose comps to Danny Salazar, and I say that because Salazar was about the same build ish. Um, Espino is a little bit stronger than Salazar. Salazar was very just, you know, athletic and and a little thinner. And I think Espino is a little more strong, you know, strongly built, especially in the lower half the um, Ninians, obviously, have cleaned up his arm swing, which is a big deal because um, that was what concerned a lot of people with him and the body type. But I do think he has the shortest path in this list, the big leagues, besides obviously we know Jones is close because he's in double-A and probably could have been up this year if they needed him. And then Freeman, with the with the way he makes contact, I think, can fly fast too in, in, the, in the ranks. But Espino is not your typical – a so slow moving prep arm. I think he's about ready. I mean, this depends on what happens in 2020. So let's just say that there's a quarter or half season for the minor leagues at, at this point. Um, I would say second half of 2021, early 2022 is when you could see Espino. And I think the Indians know that about him. I think they, they, think they are thinking close to the same thing obviously commands a big issue. Um, he doesn't have bad command, but he, he, it needs to be good for his stuff to work, even though he's got good stuff. Um, but I, I would be concerned that the shelf life of that arm goes short like Salazar. Um, I would assume Espino's got a better work ethic than Salazar. There were a lot of issues with Salazar with his routines and how he took care of his arm and his body. Um, that I don't know exists with Espino. So that could be what happened to Salazar and that could be his downfall. But I do remember going back as far as like 2011, that a lot of people thought that Salazar was a great prospect, but also thought he might only pitch for four or five years in the majors at most. And I do wonder uh, that about Espino, because remember, Salazar moved quickly. You know, he went from Tommy John recovery in 2012 to being up in 2013 and I think that's what could happen to Espino, not the Tommy John, but just being up quick. Um, but I think you're going to see the peak early in the career with him. And I don't know what the later years hold. So I think there's that to be excited about, but also be concerned about with him. Um, I like Freeman still. I, I personally like f- for me and a little bit better, as I noted. Um, I think Freeman doesn't walk enough. He, he went kind of reverted to some of those things in Lynchburg last year when he moved up. Um, I'm concerned it's going to be really just a light hitting, not light hitting, but just an empty, empty type batting average type bat that probably profiles better as a, a second class, second baseman, and maybe a backup infielder. But I think there's potential for more just because he is a grinder type who gets the most out of his tools. You know, he's better as the sum of his parts than one tool um I, like, I still like rocchio the most though too because i think i think brian rocchio has the potential to be a lindor light i mean the swings are, are very similar the age the baseball iq the, the arm the work ethic uh, are very similar to where lindor was at this age i don't know that he'll ever hit 30 home runs but to be honest Nobody ever thought Lindor would hit 30 home runs. I think a lot of people thought that Lindor, at his peak, would hit 20 to 25 and be a 300 hitter. Whereas Lindor has been, you know, 275, 285 with 30 home runs and, and even more some years. So maybe Rokiyo gets there too. But I, I feel safe in thinking that that Rocchio is a 20, 25 home run guy with low glove defense, and and that's really valuable. And I know he's far away, but I feel I feel like that upside is is realistic for him.
1: I'll go back to Daniel Espino for a minute. Um, I I do know he's a power lifter and another long tosser kind of in the uh, frame uh, of Trevor Bauer. Um, I don't know if you've seen the video of him or or not posted on Twitter of him doing splits, but that tells me how flexible he is and that he's worked to maintain, too, especially with that strong lower half, those thighs that he has, um, strong core. Um, I definitely agree that he'll be a fast track arm. The Indians considered him a, a college type of arm once he got there. Um, definitely agree with what you said about Tyler Freeman. Definitely needs to walk more. Rokyo, I'm, I'm typically conservative, I think, in, in my uh, projections. I said whenever Lindora was drafted that he'd probably be a 15, 18 homer guy. I, I kind of peg um, Rocchio in the same box, but I also think Rocchio is a, a guy that's going to probably hit around 280. So you're looking at a plus hit tool um, average power, maybe more, uh, but he's the guy that's going to impact the game on the bases defensively too. Uh, when you, when you look at that entire package, I can see why he's number three on this list and he's going to be, he, he would probably, in my opinion, pass the Valera. And I think you're, you're one two next season, or, or, uh, I would say mid season, <laughs> but I, I don't know what <laughs> mid season's going to hold. Um, but I think Espino and Rocchio, um, could be your one two. Uh, as soon as the end of this season, assuming Jones might graduate. And uh, I not that I'm down on Valera. I, I'm the, I don't mean to communicate that at all. I just think he's going to take a little bit of time with these other guys that are more more polished or, or closer to the big leagues than he is. But there's a, a lot to be excited with Valera. Uh, I'm not going to comp him to, to Juan Soto, but I think Valera could be a guy that ends up hitting 280, 290. 25, 30 home runs too. So there's a lot to be excited about with him. I, I think the Indians have really um, lined the system with a lot of talent. I, I talked about my own personal rankings that I posted on Twitter um, early in the off season, or earlier in the off season. Um, and, and I gave a lot of the guys similar grades or had a hard time differentiating um, who would be the better prospect. Some of these guys I, I think are, are very similar as far as, terms of quality and where you see them ranked. You mentioned Tyler Freeman and then Jose Fermin and I agree with you. There's not a big difference between the two of them. And, and you might see me having Fermin closer to 30, and then Freeman in five or six. Um, I know going into the off season, I had Freeman as high as number two, but as I started to, to dig in and look at numbers and watch a little video of him, I had to I had to drop him because of the concerns with the walks. But I, I do think Freeman will, will probably add a little bit of strength to his frame pick up a few more home runs. He's a guy I can see hitting 10, 12 home runs a year. I don't think he's ever going to be a big home run guy. He's going to put the bat on the ball and put the ball in play. Um, I, I think uh, part of the reason he doesn't draw walks is, is he will swing at pitches that he knows he can he can put the bat on. And sometimes I think he's better served to just let it go by and take that ball and uh, increase that. You know, that's what I mentioned for me because I
0: remember in Lake County immediate media day last year that um, – Freeman said he credited for me with that approach and he just kind of got away from it. Once he got to Lynchburg, it kind of reverted back to his normal aggressive approach. So I agree with you on him. I'm glad you brought up the Soto and and Valera thing too, because that's obviously a pretty common comp. They were close together in, in terms of international rankings and, um, what people thought they that Valera could be. There was a lot of swing comps, everything and, um, I still think Valera has got a lot of upside and I think the floor might still be pretty good. Um, I am concerned about the strikeout rate a little bit. He did swing and miss uh, somewhat in, in Mahoning Valley more than I expected him to just for what I heard. But I think the thing to remember with him too, when people look at his stats and, and wonder about the strikeout rate and some other, you know, stats is okay. He hit a lot of home runs in the New York League, which is not, a good offensive environment most of the time. And he's also now he was also 19. And remember that in 2018, when he was supposed to make his, you know, Arizona league debut, he had a fractured handmade bone. And that usually takes, you know, some guy, unless you're like a freak, like Jose Ramirez. And even he had a sore hand after he hit two home runs in Chicago, coming back, you know, cold without any minor league time. Um, you know, some guys don't see the power return in their game for almost up to a year after ham eight surgery. And then he had, I think a hamstring issue in, in Mahoning Valley. And I know he had a, um, okay. It was a hamstring issue in Arizona this year before we got to Mahoning Valley. Then there was another leg issue, um, in Mahoney Valley this year that might've been a hamstring, but I can't confirm what it was. Um, so obviously there's some injury things to kind of worry about maybe, but I would, I would say if you're looking at the stat line and you're wondering about him, take those things into account and look at the overall numbers and the age and just how many home runs guys usually don't hit in in the New York Penn League and see what he did. So I'm still pretty high on Valera, but I don't know, man. I, I, I saw Rocchio twice in person and and he just ha- he got to balls that he just had no business getting to as far as range. And uh, you could see the gap power and the the similarities in his swing to Lindor. So I I have a lot of confidence in him. And I wanted to throw this by you too. I've thrown this comp to some other people. I I don't really do player comps very often, but if you look at offensive production and just the type of skills they possess, to me, Nolan Jones reminds me a lot of, and obviously he's not a switch hitter, but in the platoon issues will have to play itself out. But to me, I think the offensive upside of Nolan Jones is something of a Carlos Santana just because of how much he walks and the the 25 home run power. Do you think that makes any sense or my way off base?
1: I completely agree with you. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. I was thinking of that about his walks earlier. Um, Who does he remind me of? And and Santana is kind of who, who I thought of just focusing in on the walks with him. Um, But that's, that was a good comp to me. I, I think you know you're talking about a guy that I can see Jones hitting 240, 250. It's not super sexy. He's not going to hit 300, um, but I think you got a guy that has uh, a high on base percentage, and he's probably going to hit near 30 home runs once he uh, really fills out his frame. And I think he's he's going to do that and, and uh, add a little bit of strength with it too. Um, wanted to add two things to two more things with the. Uh, Valera and Rocchio. Rocchio was the youngest player in in Mahoning Valley and in the entire New York Penn League last season. Um, The second youngest player, George Valera. So I think those factor in when you're considering both of these guys were three years younger than average. They're facing um, college talent, guys who are more polished and uh, performing at, at a high level, I think. I know you look at Rocchio and he hit 250, that may not look great, but when you consider the youth and what he was doing against that level of competition. And and as you pointed out with Valera coming back last season was as essentially his debut coming off of the Hammond injury and then having a few dings. Um, You know, I've heard people say Valera is a below average defender. I don't think so. I don't think he's a perfect defender, but I think he's going to be an average defender and I think he's probably going to end up in left field. But uh, you get in a plus bat, a guy that's probably going to hit 280, 290, and I wouldn't be surprised if at some point he hits 300. Um, he knows what's going on at the plate. You can watch him. You can see he watches the ball go out, and he has a, a good eye. at The plate has good p- pitch selection. Um, I think he was more aware of some of the balls and strikes than, than some of the umpires at times, to be honest with you. Um, but uh, New York Penn League is is for beginners, you know. It's a, it's a low-level league, um, so some younger talent there, and that includes the umpires. I think uh, a few pitches that should go a batter's way or or the pitcher's way in, on some occasions uh, don't quite get called the way that they should. Um, but he, he's a selective guy to play it. I think he's got good plate discipline. I, I know that you mentioned the strikeout rate. I think uh, a lot of it is just trying to live up to the hype and putting a lot of pressure on himself too. Um as I said, I think he's a left fielder long-term, a very exciting bat. I think he's a guy that could hit 25, 30 home runs. Um, very excited talent. I I don't know. It's kind of limiting to me. I think he's probably going to be the slowest of this five to progress, and that's not a shot at him. It's just these other guys are more polished. Um, he may go level for level with Rocchio but Rocchio is going to be more advanced and more ready. Yeah. The baseball IQ
0: for Rocchio makes, makes that big difference. I would agree. I think he just is a baseball rat and shows just tremendous instincts. I also would note that Valera has got a phenomenal arm too. So I think that plays in his defensive value too. He's got a plus arm. So that's our, our top 50, Uh, you know, the last couple will be coming out of the next week uh, with the last one, going on March 30th, which is uh, Monday, I believe. So <clears throat> I've gone through all 50 over the last two podcasts. And like I said, uh, make sure you read throughout the week for our full profiles. Um, we still have Freeman Espino, Roki, Ovalera and Jones to go. Those will be free. And uh, I guess we can just kind of finish up with some house cleaning things, housekeeping things. I don't know why I always say house cleaning. It's not, that's not a thing. I mean, you should be cleaning your houses, but this is housekeeping is the, is the term. Um, so it looks like the next phase for IBI, while this is not 100% concrete right now, there are still a few details, um, to kind of check off. And unfortunately there will be, there may be some things that are, are thrown that throw a curveball with, you know, related to the economy and the virus and everything, um, and how this goes, but um, we do currently have a WordPress site set up for an Indians baseball insider. Tony Lestoria has decided that was the best route for us to go. Um, and what our plans are um, is to have a free site on WordPress. And we're going to determine the level of content we can create that would be worth paying for. Um, it's not going to be a ton. We're not going to charge a lot. We don't have prices set in stone. We have a, a rough guideline. Um, but how we're going to do that is connect to Patreon. WordPress has a plugin for Patreon. Um, so we're going to continue to offer plenty of free content, and then including the podcasts, And then uh, we'll see what, what kind of content we can come up with and, and where it fits in the pay scale. Uh, I know a lot of people really enjoyed the message boards on 24-7 sports. Um there's comments on WordPress. There's not a message board set up, unfortunately, but there are comments on each story. And uh there is a what's called Discord um message space on Patreon, which is kind of like a, its own message board and there's moderators and all things like that. So um there may be an opportunity for kind of a premium message board type thing so if we were to do that that might be you know a couple bucks a month i don't you know total truth here i don't think we're talking more than five dollars a month at at most there might be even cheaper tiers Um, but that's going to depend on what kind of content we produce and how we rate all that but there will IBI looks like at this time we'll be continuing um, sometime in April with the season being delayed. It gives us a little more time to plan for a new phase. So it may not be April 1st. We may, we may be offline from, you know, a week or so until we get things ironed out, but uh, it looks like we will have a continuation and there will be some sort of um, paywall content, but we promise it won't be much. We promise it'll be worth your money. Um whenever that happens to be, and it it may not be right now because a lot of people are, you know, scaling back with the economy and, and, and jobs and everything, which is totally understandable. But, um, when things are fully operational and, 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 you know, everything is set in stone and, and things improve, um, there will be that option as well. So that's kind of where things are going. Um, that's all I've really got, you know, make sure you're reading the the final five capsules i have three two more indians capsules to go and then we'll have some other content as well and then uh we will see you on the other side on wordpress will anything to add before we get out of here
1: i uh definitely enjoyed the the countdown and, and having a, a opposite well not opposite but a. A different opinion than my own. Talking on these prospects, it's good to bounce off of uh, somebody else, somebody that's seen some of these guys that I haven't um, in person. I haven't had the opportunity to get up to Lake County and see a lot of these guys that you have, or, or at least to the extent that you have. So good to hear your opinion on some of them, and uh, definitely appreciate uh, the information that you were able to share tonight. And uh, you know, I, I look forward to the start of baseball season. Let's hope for the best and pray for the best for all of our listeners and uh, tribe fans and for our nation right now. And and for everyone that's facing this uh, dilemma with all that's going on in the world. Uh, I just want to wish everyone the best and and hopefully everyone is. Yeah. Well said. Thanks
0: to everybody for listening. And uh, thanks for everybody who's been a loyal supporter uh, of our work on 24 seven sports. And uh, we hope that you continue to read us going forward. Um, we promise to provide, like I said, free content and uh, podcasts as well beyond April. So, IDI doesn't look like it's going away. And, and thanks to all those who who have reached out and said, like you know, they they like the content and they like the site and they wanted to continue. And um, you know, Willie, thanks to you for for stepping in and and um, writing the second half of these capsules with me and doing the podcast. It's been great, and uh, I really appreciate your effort and putting the time into this, I know you've got a lot going on in your life and, and between work and family and um, definitely appreciate your contributions over the last month or so. And uh, even further back than that, and I, I look forward to more work from you and with you um, as we enter a new phase of IBI. And, you know, of, of course, thank you for, you know, your work in the medical field. Thank you for continuing going to go into work and doing what you do. And and thanks to all the, the doctors out there and every medical field and Um, you know, like I said, like Billy said, everybody stay safe and, uh, thank you for listening and we will see you on the other side with another podcast at some point and, uh, some more content. So thanks for listening and, uh, catch you later.